I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Love Letters is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who save with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Huda Amarashi was in middle school when a boy, let's call him Hottie, gave her a gift she cherished. They were in her childhood living room. I opened this, you know, the plastic Toys R Us bag, and there it was. He bought me an Easy Bake Oven, and that was something I had told his sister that I had always wanted but never got. And he took his own money and, and, and on a trip to Toys R Us had bought this for me. Huda's parents really liked Hottie. She figured that down the line, he might meet their standards as a suitor for their daughter. But Huda also wanted a real romance. I want to find somebody who makes my parents happy, who checks off all these boxes, and who I can also have this love story that I can tell my American friends and that they will not suspect that my marriage has been arranged. The question that would weigh on her in the years to come was this. Could she have both? From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. One of the things I think a lot about as an advice columnist is how love and courtship are fed to us in pop culture. These representations spell out exactly how relationships are supposed to evolve, sort of like those videos in driving class that demonstrate a three-point turn. I'm struck, for instance, by how much happenstance is heralded as one of the true hallmarks of real love. But imagine for a moment the opposite. Imagine being in a position in which all of the expectations of marriage and courtship are different. That was the case for Huda and Hadi, who's now her husband. We'll get to their story in a bit. But before that, I want to check back in with the man we're calling Lance, who we've been following this season on Love Letters. You might remember that Lance and his wife are wrestling right now with whether their marriage can remain intact, given Lance's discovery that he's bisexual. I hadn't spoken to Lance in a while, so our producer, Amy, arranged a call with him. Hi, Amy. Oh, hey, it's Meredith. Oh, hi, Meredith. How are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm stepping into my vehicle so that there's not... Okay, uh, good place to be. Lance called us from his car during a work day. The last time we spoke with him, he'd written his wife a long email sharing his feelings about their marriage and his sexuality. Uh, you know, because I expressed uh, as, as one of the things in the email was that, that I didn't know, for me, if I would be able to, you know, live basically a, a straight life as a as a bisexual man and a straight marriage that's completely monogamous. So back to kind of like the question of the season, right? Like how do you know? Well so so I don't really know <laughs> if I 
if that's something that I am able to do, if that's something that is worth paying the price to do. Um, and I, I think when I was vulnerable enough to say that, I, I think it generated a lot of questions and doubts for her as to, you know, would I be around? Would, you know, am I just going to up and leave one day because, you know, I have these desires that aren't being fulfilled and that she can't fulfill. And, you know, is, is she enough or is she not going to be enough? And I think they're all legitimate questions. Do you think that it's been harder for you because you never had the opportunity to explore more options when you were younger? Like it, perhaps if you had had these experiences with multiple people, with different kinds of people, having having one partner would be easier? Or do you think you, you might be in the same position now just based on on the needs you feel? I think it's absolutely harder. But at the very least, I didn't get the opportunity to even intellectually explore any of that. Later in the call, I find out that Lance's wife has made plans for them to see a couples therapist. Uh, I got a text out of the blue um, asking if she can set up an appointment for us. And so I was really excited about that. I think that is a very good sign. What do you think prompted that? I'm hoping that it means that you know, we've definitely got some fight left. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping for the best. I'm still somewhat braced for the worst. And then at the same time, wondering if maybe the worst is actually the worst, or if it came to the worst, would that possibly be a blessing in disguise rather than, you know, a cataclysmic life-ending event. And just you know just mean? so I'm clear, the worst meaning the, the marriage doesn't work out. Right. And, you know, I, again, it's, it is really hard to know what is for the best and what is for the worst in this situation. It still feels to me like the best would be if I can make our marriage work. That's really what I still want uh, more than anything else. From the outside, I worry that Lance will have a hard time being satisfied within the limitations of his marriage. But I also know that's easy for me to say. There's a lot at stake for him. They have kids and a life together. At the end of the call, Lance and I agree to talk again after he and his wife start counseling. All right, well, then we will talk to you soon. All right, thanks so much. All right. Okay, now back to our story for today. Huda Almarashi is a writer living near San Diego. I read her memoir, First Comes Marriage, My Not-So-Typical American Love Story. I was struck by how much the book deals with some of the questions we're asking this season. This feeling of knowing when, how, and why we make choices in our relationships. It also made me think a lot about how knowing a partner is right for you is actually a modern, often American construct. It assumes a certain order of things, that cute meeting, then dates, then love, then marriage. But what does it mean to know when the path to marriage isn't always so linear or conventionally romantic? When Huda was a kid, 
Her parents thought deeply about where they should raise their children. They were from Iraq. My parents felt like they couldn't raise a daughter in America. I think there was this idea that all immigrant families struggle with, and it's that question of assimilation. And reputation was something that was very important in my mom's understanding of our identity. And so she really wanted to make sure she protected her daughter's reputation. And I think there was all these things that they feared that you could um, get caught up in in the U.S. and, and in America. And I think the primary thing was this story of dating, boys, relationships. In 1979, her father gets an opportunity to come to California for work. The family ends up moving to Monterey, a couple hours south of San Francisco. You might know it if you're a fan of Steinbeck, or Reese Witherspoon. Which now everybody's heard about, right? Because of HBO and Big Little Lies. Oh, right. <laughs> it's funny. I had a friend live there years ago, so I wasn't even thinking Big Little Lies. But now, I, right? now I'm just gonna now I'm just gonna picture your family surrounded by gorgeous kitchens. Well, there wasn't a, a big Middle Eastern community there. It was a, quite a small Middle Eastern community, and so. Growing up, my parents, I think, were kind of reaching for and looking for people who looked uh, more like them. They befriend a family with a young son. Huda calls him Hadi in her book. Huda's father and Hadi's father had gone to the same medical school in Baghdad. They met again at a conference in San Diego. One summer, the two families have a picnic together in Big Sur. Huda's younger sister who's four, decides she wants to play-act a wedding ceremony. She wants to be a bride. And and I think even deep down, even at that very young age, she intuited two types of boys that you can marry. And there's the impossibles and the possibles. And the possibles are the ones that, you know, match, that they check all these boxes, same religion, same culture, same background. The, the one brother that she picked first, the younger brother who's closer to her in age, wouldn't play along. But... Hadi, the older brother, he does play along. And that moment of kindness and that gesture of being willing to pretend marry my sister kind of lodged somewhere in my memory as a moment where he really showed his character. Huda says that as she grows older, she has no problem explaining her culture to friends and teachers. But she'd always known that her marriage would be supervised by her family. She isn't allowed to date. And that makes her feel a world apart. And explain to them how, oh, I, you know, I need to pray five times a day, and I can only eat these certain kinds of foods. And all of that made you kind of exotic and interesting. But saying that you couldn't date or that you couldn't have a boyfriend, that was the kind of thing that made people pity you. And that was the thing that made people assume you were going to live out this uh, story that kind of fit the arranged marriage trope that they had in their mind, which probably involved dowries and it involved the exchange of livestock and it involved you not being able to give your consent. The expectation is this. When it comes time for marriage, Huda will marry someone who shares her Shia Muslim background. Along with that came other expectations. 
Huda would not go on one-on-one dates before marriage, for example, and both families would have to oversee the courtship. Over the years, Huda and Hadi's families visit each other's homes, but any serious interaction between them is prohibited. If Huda spoke to Hadi alone, her mother would tell her it's unsuitable for a girl to speak to a boy in that manner. It's considered abe or shameful. Despite all this, their mothers do seem interested in the prospect of marriage between the two kids in the future. You know, from a very young age, I had kind of the women in my family circling around me and telling me, you know he likes you. You know he likes you. You can tell. His eyes go wherever you go. Um, He's always looking at you when you're in a room. And I, I remember one of my aunts telling me one time he would put you on his eyelashes if he could. And, you know, these are like these Arabic sayings that they would translate into to English. And one of term of endearment is, you know, I'll put you on my head. And so this was like even more, he would put you on his eyelashes. Like that somebody is so precious to you that you would carry them, you know, on, t- on top of yourself, basically. Like he would put you on his head. Still, Huda isn't ready to accept that Hadi truly likes her, you know, in that American rom-com kind of way. This is where it gets complicated for her. Huda respects and embraces her tradition, but also badly wants a version of what she sees on TV and in the movies. When her family sends her to an all-girls Catholic school, Huda sees her classmates praying for boyfriends. She feels both jealous of the chase, but grateful she doesn't have to participate in it. I kind of looked at their teenage relationships with a certain degree of scorn. You know, I thought, well, these poor girls, look at them. They are wasting all this time with these boys and these relationships isn't going to go anywhere. At no point does she want to reject her family's expectations, but she does want the love story, the one she's seen over and over. Yeah, we were doing the whole Tom Hank scene, right? We were watching Sleepless in Seattle. It's you. It's me. I saw you the street. Are you Annie? Yes. You're Annie? You were watching You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail. Yes. Those are very powerful words. Yes. I had spun this idea that I could beat the system in a way. I could find the guy who made my parents happy, and then we could have the story that was really normative, you know, as long as I got stuff. And that was the interesting thing that I think my young teenage brain took away from just watching TV and movies. Because, of course, it's not being modeled to me at home, was that the way you prove that you had this Western love story was by crewing stuff, having the right ring, getting surprises, going out on a certain kinds of dates. So this becomes her plan. Take the traditional route, but add in the Tom Hanks. She's going to assign meaning to whatever Hadi offers. In fact, Huda has already been doing this, like with the Easy Bake Oven. There were these small little tokens that he would give me whenever he had the chance. You know, like on one family trip, he tore like a leaf off a tree and said, you know, this is for you, keep it forever. In her book, Huda writes that she takes this leaf 
and tells herself, with exaggerated drama, I'll treasure it forever. In rare, stolen moments like this, at family gatherings, she'd steer conversations in a way to try to get him to profess that he liked her. We were talking about cars, and cars was something I knew he liked. So I knew it was a good way to get him to open up and to talk. And uh, I was telling him that my favorite car is this BMW 325 convertible. They were boxy, and they were cute, and I wanted a red one. And he said, okay, well, I'll have to buy you one. And I said, well, how or why? Why would you be the person to buy me a car? And I was trying to needle him to get him to say, okay, because, you know, in the future, I like you. I want to be with you. And I want to be the one to buy you the car. The one thing that was this persistent source of frustration was that this boy could never deliver the one-liners, the quips, these kind of romantic comedy lines and moments that I wanted. You know, I was trying to manipulate it and create these scenes. What Huda doesn't realize at the time is that Hadi lacks the experience and frame of reference to give these expressions of love that she's seeking. You know, now I think it's so silly. You know, he was socialized the way I was socialized. And he was right, just like, as why, shy why as is he not? Was. Why is he not Tom Hanks? <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, how could he be? Later on in high school, that BMW makes another appearance. Huda's mother asks her if she wants to attend her senior prom. Prior to this, the closest Huda had come to a school dance was serving soda on the sidelines. So her mother's suggestion for her to go came as a surprise. You know, I knew all the rules. There was no going out with a boy that you were not going to be marrying, that marriage was not on the table with. Huda's mother has put this plan together with permission from Hadi's mother. Huda thinks maybe this means she and Hadi are destined to be together. Her family follows an Islamic practice of divine consultations called istihara. Huda wonders, is this invitation to the dance a sign? That also shifted my thinking in a major way, because that felt like a moment where God himself was telling me that this was a good union. Huda agrees to go, but with reservations. I could not accept that this would be a matchmaking courtship story. Oh, we're just going to go to the prom together as part of, you know, this kind of arranged marriage story. And he just shows up. I really wanted him to say to me that he wanted to go to the prom to me. I wanted to, like, have him reverse ask me, even though I knew. Huda cooks up an excuse to get Hadi on the phone. She decides she needs help with math homework. Hadi happens to be a math whiz. Huda's mother facilitates a call. And he had no experience himself. This was probably his first time on the phone with the girl. But part of me was like, I don't have time to worry about you. This is my only <laughs> chance. I am only going to have one relationship with a man in my whole life. There are no do-overs. You better get this right. Because if I don't have a romance with you, spark, chemistry, I am never going to have it with anyone. And meanwhile, I'm hearing the story and thinking, like, no man has ever done the equivalent of buy me an easy bake oven. Totally, like you were already right? you're already having it, right? I was having it, but didn't, you know, and that's the thing when you're trying to live up to a script. The real life story not measuring up. We'll be back after the break. Thank you. 
Okay, we're back. After their phone call, Huda and Hadi attend the dance together. He picks her up in his car. And, and Hadi said, you know, open the glove compartment. I have something for you. And I opened it, and uh, inside where there was this little die-cast uh, BMW 325 convertible, red. And there was also a keychain. And it was supposed to be like a, a holder spot for the future car that he was going to buy me. And I mean, in that moment, did that count as him saying, I like you? It should have, right? They're at the dance, but not dancing. I waited the entire night for him to say with words something declarative. Like, we should transform in these moments into people who are going to have these things that I saw as normative moments. Like, we should dance, even though... Like, you you should become John Hughes characters. Exactly! You know, pretty in pink. You told me you couldn't believe in somebody didn't believe in you. I believed in you. Always believed in you. Just didn't believe in me. Neither one of us had ever danced on a dance floor. I didn't even probably know how, but I felt like, well, this is how this romantic story should play out. And so he didn't. At some point, they go outside to talk. We go outside on the veranda, and I start to ask the leading questions, and he's got nothing. He's just can't come up with the words, and just tongue-tied, and I say I want to go home. And, and really, what would he have been telling you in that moment? Like, what was the right line? You know, I think I didn't even know what I wanted to hear, but I knew I I wanted some profession. You know, because all of the things that we had exchanged up into that moment had been a lot of unspoken things that showed interest. Easy Bake Oven, the BMW, the Leaf, things that were objects. And I wanted him to say, I like you. Huda thinks maybe Hadi doesn't really like her. What was his problem? He'd come all the way to prom with her and still, no true feelings shared. Here she is, putting her reputation on the line. It was not supposed to feel arranged. But there's a twist. That night, Hadi and his mother are staying at Huda's home because they're visiting from out of town for the prom. At home, Huda slumps on the floor and starts to work on her math homework. Hadi asks her if he can help her. She's annoyed all over again because this is not how the movie's supposed to go. Huda decides to give it to him straight. He missed a big opportunity, she says. A few days later, Hadi calls her, and he finally breaks his silence. He's delicate with his words. He's shy. He said that the reason why it was so hard to tell me that he liked me was because he'd always assumed that I was going to marry someone else. And he that he believed that those were the type of words that he should only say to the person he was going to marry. So, I mean, this is a really revealing thing he tells you, that not only does he like you, but he, he was sort of saving it to make sure that you were going to like him back. He had his own expectations of his own romantic ideals of how things should play out. And that telling somebody you love them was this kind of sacred thing and that he should only love one person and he should only 
say it once and that you couldn't go around professing your feelings to somebody who was going to be somebody else's wife. Huda loves the idea of Hottie pining for her from afar. It's so cinematic. Hottie had assumed Huda would marry someone else, but she had felt for years that she couldn't marry anyone else. They decide then and there, they both want this to happen and hope their parents will approve. After the call, she tells her mom right away, it feels like a big step. It's the spring of 1995. They're in their late teens and early 20s. Hadi approaches his father and tells him he wants permission to marry Huda. That's when things become more official. The fall of that year, Huda goes to college. Hadi is already at a different school. At Thanksgiving the same year, he asks Huda's father for her hand. Her father is surprised. Only their mothers had known what was percolating. The engagement is announced that night. They set a date for an official engagement party for their families. At the party, they exchange rings. And on that night, Huda finally hears what she's been waiting to hear all along. The first big step was he actually uttered the words, I love you. And when the party was over, he had driven me back to the hotel where my family was staying. And there was, we just had one very brief moment alone in the elevator. And, um, and, and then with him walking me back to my room when he told me he loved me. He said, I love you, but I had spent all this time really rehearsing how somebody should profess their love to me, but not how I would return the favor. And I did remember that it was hard to kind of find the words to say, I love you too. But I did, I found the words, I said, I love you too. But of course, the very next question is what took you so long? The official engagement doesn't mean they can really be together yet. There are still limitations. Among more practicing Muslims, being engaged doesn't mean anything. An engagement doesn't afford you any more opportunities to go out, to be alone, to touch each other. That requires your Islamic uh, marriage ceremony. And we both knew this. But I also knew that was problematic for the girl who wanted this story because I didn't know when we were going to have this Islamic wedding ceremony. The very next day, their families get together for dinner. Hadi pulls Huda aside. He said, do you want to come watch the video uh, of the engagement party? And so I said, okay. And, you know, 1990s, we have this huge camcorder and he pulled out the viewfinder, and we were huddled close together watching it. And then he leaned over and he kissed me. And then I knew. Then I knew it was like, okay, we're not going to be that couple that waits until the moment of our wedding. I also knew that for Hadi, the officialness of the ring meant a lot to him. I don't mean to be gross, but how much kissing was there? Uh, you know, we still were very, very afraid of being caught. Okay. So we so had... So it's, it's a chaste situation. Oh, yes. Yeah, like, maybe, like, one, two, three. Like, oh, let's try that again one more time. Okay, now I'm terrified. Um, <laughs> like we've... As, as first kisses often go down. <laughs> Technically, they're supposed to be married before they're allowed to touch. 
her mother wisely suggests that Huda and Hadi secretly observe a small Islamic marriage ceremony performed by Huda's grandfather so that they will not accumulate sins. This was the equivalent of the, the cool mom in the Western context that takes her daughter and puts her on the pill. The official, official wedding happens in Los Angeles. They observe a traditional Muslim wedding, and then after, they have a reception. But in keeping with this story, Huda wants more. She envisions father of the bride. She's gone straight from Tom Hanks to Steve Martin. And I wanted to make sure that I walked in like an American bride, because that was something I really liked that I had seen in movies. And I wanted to walk in with my dad, and I wanted there to be this kind of like wedding marchy music. I sat down for my more Islamic wedding ceremony, and we did that whole part. But both my husband and I, because this story had also, you know, meant something to him too, we wanted that you may now kiss the bride moment. And they forgot to say it. And my husband had to kind of do this and he got his dad's attention and told him to say it in the microphone. And he picked up the mic and he said something like, oh yeah, and Hadi wants to kiss his bride now. (laughs) Everybody laughed. And I remember being slightly annoyed, like, okay, this was not how this moment was supposed to happen. (laughs) You're ruining it. I think there's a lot we can learn from Huda's story about knowing. One is that, and look, this isn't new, we can't allow a Tom Hanks movie to determine what love looks like. That whole question of how do you know, like, I feel like we've done such a disservice in Western society and kind of assuming that this, like, this love story that we've put out there is so one-size-fits-all. And it doesn't take into account so many things When I thought like the Arab Muslim girl that I had been raised to be, there was nothing wrong with my relationship. When I slipped into the American story of expectations, everything didn't match up because that story needs a lot of things to be in place. To me, the real moment of knowing in Huda's story comes when she and Hadi are finally honest with each other on the phone about their feelings and intentions. That's when they were able to figure out that they could make their own story together. I have to ask. Yeah. Do you still have the car, the oven, the leaf? Oh, my God. We have the car. I let my kids have it as a toy. We have the Easy Bake Oven. And again, I had passed that on to the children. And and I probably do still have the leaf. <gasps> I probably lovely. do. On to light the night One sun to shine so bright One lucky star up above There can only be One love Huda Al-Murashi is the author of the book First Comes Marriage, my not-so-typical American love story. 
Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Our senior producer is Amy Padula. Our executive producer is Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith is our audience engagement manager. Special thanks to Brian McGorry and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. Are you trying to figure out how to know something in your relationship? Do you have another love problem? I want to hear from you. Email the team at lovelettersatboston.com or find us on Twitter at lovelettersblog. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love that. Learn more at loveletters.show. And remember, if we're going to romanticize pretty in pink, the only good choice is Ducky. I love this woman. I love this woman, and I have to tell her. And if she laughs, she laughs. And if she doesn't love me, she doesn't love me. But if, if I don't find out... Love her too much. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening. Love is real. Thank you, thank you. Real is love. You're a wonderful crowd here, you know that.